since this episode is dropping during Thanksgiving week, let's talk not about the holiday, but the psychological phenomena associated with the holiday's eponym. Welcome to Coffee with Creamer, where you get to sit down with our host, Dr. Barry Creamer, for a conversation about faith, life, and culture. We'll look at old ideas through a new lens, turn those culture wars on their head, and paint a picture of the way things could be. If you like your thinking deep and your coffee hot, pull up a chair. You're in the right place. Now, a long time ago, uh, when I was on the radio, uh, we would do an episode every once in a while, a show every once in a while, that we called a free-for-all. We would invite a variety of people to look up articles, think about things that were interesting to them, bring them to the rest of the discussion group, sort of a panel discussion, and talk about each topic. And we had thought, and when I say we, I mean Daisy Reynolds, my producer, and I, when we talked about what to do for a holiday episode— Uh, We thought, well, let's do an homage to those. Let's do something similar to that. And we had originally intended for it to be three voices. So we had selected a few articles each. And unfortunately, one of our voices had to drop out at the last minute for a family obligation. That happens. And it was fine. But I think uh, the topics that we had already lined up were enough that we're going to stick with the strategy. So how's that for seeing the inside game? My point is, this is a different kind of show, and uh, I'm inviting Daisy to turn up your microphone and engage in the conversation, uh, because I asked you to look up a few articles or or just, uh, you know, a few points of interest Mm -hmm. in your mind uh, about Thanksgiving and about giving thanks, both the holiday and the event or the psychological phenomenon of giving thanks. Uh, and you looked up a few that I think are fairly interesting that I want to talk about on Why the way there. Why do you sound surprised by that? Like, which <laughs> yeah, I they think were actually fairly interesting. interesting. Before we get there, I have to interrupt and ask about the vocab you used in the open. Oh, um, the eponym? <laughs> yes. Well, like, you know, what on all, earth? Who it's does It's always that? nice to expand everyone's <laughs> vocabulary. Okay. You know, something's eponymous if it's named after that thing. So oh, the eponym for Thanksgiving is that. thanks, you know, giving thanks. Okay. So obviously, I mean, that's what it's named after giving there thanks, right? Okay. And the psychological phenomena, I'm referring to that because there's more to giving thanks than saying the words. You know, there's something that changes yeah, in your attitude or demeanor. Almost so. a lifestyle. That's if what you, I, that's yeah, what I, and practice. that's what I was, that's what I was sort of appealing to. So Got uh, it. by, by the way, so, and again, it's a holiday episode. So, you know, I, I know some, for some people, this would be interesting for some, it won't be, but I mean, for me, it's time to relax and just kind of let's, let's have a chat, you know, let's have a discussion. Mm-hmm. I think some of the things we're going to talk about are really interesting. I'm mean, like good information too, but that'll come later. First, like, what do you? So, do you have holiday plans? I mean, I know your family lives pretty far away. They I mean, do. They're not. They do. I think they. My my folks are coming down to Texas um, during the two holidays, sometime during Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and Christmas. But we're not sure yet. It's funny. In my job, I'm very organized, and in my personal life, it's like, oh, is Thanksgiving coming? Oh my gosh, let's yeah. make plans. 
I mean, like I make fun of you bad. for this all the yeah. time because you don't really it's know bad. when holidays are. No. Oh, well, when is Thanksgiving? What day yeah. does Thanksgiving <laughs> fall on this year? Is that a, a Wednesday? Bad. Or it's what? bad. She doesn't it's know. Bad. You really don't know. It's bad. I admit it. Uh, so, but so you'll you but you'll surely you'll do something. Yes. Yeah. Whether my parents are here or not, um, I'll definitely be hanging out with friends, relaxing, eating foods that I enjoy. Well, one of your of so one of your articles was on, or at least one of the topics yes. you were going to bring up was yeah. about friends. That. Yeah, friends. It was an article from NPR. and um, Oh, it was an article. It was an article, yep. And uh, it was about a Pew Research Center study recently done about friendship in America. Okay, and so um, according to the research, 61% of adults in the U.S. say having close friends is essential to living a fulfilling life. Um, and, however, and this is, but, but, yeah. by, by the way, I just want to pause and say part of the reason we brought this up is because people celebrate friends. Yes, I had to introduce this idea to you. Yeah, and, I and didn't a part of, Yeah, well, I think a part of it is because, you know, we're no longer on the younger side ah. of, of the universe. Mm. And I had noticed maybe in the past 10 years, I'm guessing, this phenomenon uh, of younger people in my life that I knew, um, most of them probably under like 35. Uh, they had something, they're like, oh, I've got my Friendsgiving coming up. And I was like, <laughs> Friendsgiving? I've never heard of such a thing. And so they were like, oh, it's just a, it's like Thanksgiving with your friends. Because, you know, normally, or it it's it's yeah. common for people in the U.S. to do Thanksgiving with family. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Extended family or immediate family, whatever. Um, but they wanted to hang out with their friends and sort of have that experience with their friends as well. So they usually before the holiday and so that couple of friendsgiving, friendsgiving, and uh, it it became very important to them, uh-huh. and they really enjoyed it. For example, uh-huh. I have a friend who she's like, "Well, I had to choose between three friendsgivings, and it's really hard to <laughs> choose, and I feel like I'm a terrible friend, you know." So like, it's a big deal. Um, okay. So anyway, yeah, we were. I was introducing you to that. So subject. then your article was just about friendship. It is about. Friendship. Friendship. Gotcha. And eight um, percent of Americans say they have no close friends, mm. which I guess is a higher number than has been in the past. Because this article said, 8%? you know, percent is that what you said? Yes, eight percent. They don't have any close friends, um, huh. and that adds up to what some experts are describing as an epidemic of loneliness in America. Mm. I think COVID was something that brought that to our attention. Um, but in May, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory. This is crazy. Are you ready for this? I'm listening. On the epidemic of loneliness in the U.S., which found that lacking connection can increase the risk for premature death. <laughs> I mean, normally we don't we don't wow. connect friendship yeah, to yeah. death risk. I can right? understand that. Though. Comparable to smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. Jiminy Cricket. So if you don't have and. If you don't have a close friend, um, and that friend yeah. can be an online friend, it can be someone that is in your neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of definitions. They went through the definitions, but I won't, I won't tire everyone out with that. Point is, it's like you're smoking 15 cigarettes a day if you don't have a personal connection with someone. I, if for anyone who's been around people who end up being isolated, and especially you see this among older people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you've been in around, you know how critically important to just being alive it is to have the stimulation that comes from conversation yeah. or someone interacting with you in mm-hmm. some way. So I can I can make sense of that. Yeah, yeah. So they talked about how important it is for your cardiovascular system, your immune system, how you sleep, your cognitive health. Um, one scientist even said, you know, we think of friends as this lovely thing, 
but it's actually a matter of life and death. <laughs> That's a really interesting way of. Well, and I and I would introduce to it just this, and then and then I, I what I want to ask you about next is the story that you have about Helen Keller. Uh, so I'll come yes. to that one in just a second gotcha. to I'm give ready. you a heads up. My, uh, you know, my response to this is sort of to say that's it's fascinating. First of all, how important associations, relationships, friendships are, uh, and I can I get how important they would be to keeping life moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, for a person, and I think it would be important for uh, surely for people to realize that when you have family functions, a lot of times, I mean, I think sort of the, I don't know, what, what do y'all call this? Uh, um, when I say y'all, I mean your generation mm-hmm. and people younger. Yeah. Um, you know, is it a meme? Is it a, I don't know what it is. It's a trope in our society for certain that uh, people view their family as this thing of animosity that they have to deal with once a year when they go to Thanksgiving or the Christmas holiday. And so it's, uh, you know, all the movies are about that. It's you know, yeah. sort of the joke. Going home have, can be really stressful. You have to go people. deal with all that stress. And yep. that's right. I, I get that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of conflict in families sometimes. And uh, I'm, you know, as I, as I look at it, I can't imagine something more fun or relaxing than just have time when you're around people. You don't have to measure up to anything. You're just with people that are stuck with you because you're blood relatives, <laughs> you know. Right. And so it seems like that would be a great thing. It also seems like that's a great opportunity to recognize that other people who are not connected well to friends could have someone who is connected yeah. to them. Yeah. Uh, and family could sort of step into that role Yeah, sometimes. invite them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's hard for, I, I, in other words, I don't think there has to be a hard divide between a Friendsgiving Giving and a and Thanksgiving. Fam- yep. mm-hmm. uh, although I get, I get the point. It would be nice to have your friends and not necessarily mom and dad. At every event. <laughs> right, I yeah. get the point. Okay, so you also looked up another article, though. Uh, you found something on yeah, gratitude this, uh, that you found from Helen Keller. Yes, it's called Three Days to See, and it's like an essay by Helen Keller. S-E-A? C-S-E-A? No. C-C-S-E-E. Of course, obviously. So she lived from 1880 to 1968, and she became blind and deaf as a result of an illness when she was 19 months old. So she had never experienced sight in a way that she could remember. Um, So she wrote this essay. I thought it was fascinating. So she said, sometimes, I'm just going to read a few quotes here. Sometimes I've thought that we should live each day as if it were our last. Most of us, however, take life for granted. The same casualness characterizes the use of all of our senses. Only the deaf appreciate hearing. Only the blind realize the blessings that lie in sight. The same old story of not being grateful for what we have until we lose it. I have Mm -hmm. often thought it would be a blessing if each human being were stricken, (laughs) blind, and deaf for a few days. Darkness would make him appreciate sight. Silence would teach him the joys of sound. So she goes on to tell us what she would fill her three days with, right? Mm. So um, she decided, you know, she thought through, what, what if I had three days of sight, what would I focus on during those days? And so she sort of described that for us. Um, Her first day... Um, and she said, if you're, if you're, if you have full sight and full hearing, why don't you do the opposite? You've got three days left. So pretend, pretend. you're going to lose your sight in three days yep. instead of you're gaining it for three days. Right? Yeah. Right. And so what would you do in those three days? So her uh, types of events, first of all, on her very first day, she would focus on people. She would look and listen to the people, look at and listen to the people who are, you know, friends, yeah, her yeah. friends, focus her family. On people. Yeah. People. She also talked about dogs. She would look at her home. 
okay. the trusting eyes of her dogs, right? She would look at things in her home. She would read books that seeing people read. Mm. That's how she described it. She would walk in the woods. She would, and of course in her day, artificial light was a big deal. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would, she would appreciate the freedom that artificial light gives you in the evenings. I mean, I don't remember the last time I thought to myself, Thank how grateful for I am that I can turn yeah. on the lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Museums. Um, she's on the second day now. She would go to museums. She would, in that evening, she would go to theater and movies, um, especially funny ones. She would want to watch funny ones. Um, her third day, I found this really interesting. She would spend in New York City watching people head into their work day and huh. sort of the hustle and bustle of life because she mm. lived out in the country. And so this was sort of the opposite of her normal experience. She wanted to go to the Empire State Building. And she said, first, I stand at a busy corner. I look at people and try to understand something of their lives. I see smiles. I am happy. I see serious determination, and I am proud. I see suffering, and I'm compassionate. Um, She says, uh, towards the end of this, I thought this was really insightful. Some sights are pleasant. They fill my heart with happiness. Some sights are sad or ugly. To these, I do not shut my eyes. They, too, are a part of life. To close the eye on them is to close the heart and mind. What a brilliant comment. Isn't that? That's perfect, yeah. yeah. You know, the uh, one of the articles that I had looked up uh, in light of what she's just said, and I want to comment on what she yeah, just said, please. Um, is, uh, you know, what I was thinking of was that I just can't ignore the stories about the Al-Shifa Hospital. As I'm, mm. as I'm recording this right now, it's still right on the front pages of the newspapers yeah. and such. And, you know, the tragedy that's happening in Gaza, and, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not being critical of anyone. This is not a, not a political commentary at all. It's just, you know, you have to grieve over this little row of babies that they have that need mm-hmm. the NICU and don't have any power. And it's just, you know, it's, in, it's unimaginable suffering for the families and for the little children that are involved in that. And what I, what I was thinking of was, and I think this will end up relating to exactly what she was just talking about. You know, when I, like when I want to give thanks for something, I hate that I think this, and I'm sort of ashamed that I think this, but so I'm going to work through it here in just a second. But, but my point Thankfully is. Thankfully you have a counselor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the room. We can figure uh, so this out. So she got a master of arts in counseling. She's a licensed counselor. Um, it is true. She is. So, but the point is that, I I know that only a narcissistic person would say, well, thank heavens that's just not happening to me, you know, so I'm just grateful that's not me. So I'm not that. I mean, that's not happening. But there is a part of me that, you know, wants to say, thank heavens my hospital is not being besieged. Yeah. The hospital in our neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and thank heavens I'm going to wake up with running water and and food to eat and just the basic uh, things of life. And part of my reason for being grateful for those things is knowing what's happening in those other parts of the world. someone doesn't have where, them. Yeah, where yeah. people don't have that. And so, I, again, I'm acknowledging, I'm not, I, you know, we don't want to be narcissistic and act like we're the only people in the world and all that matters is that things are going well for us. Not at all. But even when you turn to an awareness of the awful reality that so many other people in the world are dealing with right now. It's sort of like, I also want to back up from that 
and say, and, and I, I was telling you earlier, I think this is a little parallel to survivor's guilt, that I think what we have to figure out is how our legitimate gratitude for blessings that we receive any and every day, how that gratitude pairs together with the empathy that it ought to stir in us for those who don't have reason to express gratitude for those things today. You know, so the fact that the fact that I have empathy for people who are missing that is partially built into the fact that I know I should be grateful for the fact that I do have the things that they don't have. You don't have to turn one off to turn the other on. And that's what I'm, yeah, I guess yeah. that's what I'm trying. And I've, I've encountered a lot of people, I say a lot of people, I mean, I've gone on mission trips, you know, things like that, or just even just visiting areas. But when I've gone to India on mission trips, you know, you encounter poverty like you really don't see yeah. in very many places. And uh, I, and there's a there's a guilt that people come back with uh, sort of, I want to get back to my house. I want to get back to my hot shower. I want to get back even at night to the hotel where we're staying or whatever. And then you realize how selfish that is because they're still going to be there every day, all the time facing mm. the things that they face. And at the same time, it's not, it's like, well, I, I, you don't want to just carry guilt. You want to have empathy, but then you just want to be grateful and remember that while you don't deserve anything more than they have, you've been blessed with things. Yeah that even if you didn't deserve, you should be grateful for and at the same time carry that empathy. So anyway, putting those two things together, it kind of strikes me like what Helen Keller's Mm -hmm. talking about as parallel of saying, I have sight. And I, yeah, of course I want to, I want empathy with someone who doesn't have sight at the same time. I acknowledge God has blessed them in other ways, but he's also blessed me with sight. So I'm going to say, thank you for allowing me to see. Yeah. And one way to do that would be to say, oh, I should appreciate the fact that we have lights at night mm-hmm. that I'm able to see yeah. with. I love her. I love it's, her approach. It's interesting to think that thankfulness doesn't require only all positive thoughts. And I think sometimes as a culture, we think of thankfulness as you got to be happy. Mm. You've got to be embracing the moment. But yeah. I think thankfulness, just like what you just described, can include a sadness or a gravity anyway, that I think is, um, what's the word, uh, is, should be common for believers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's the way the scriptures describe our position in a broken world with hope that's beyond this world. Yeah. You know, know, the, the line of the, uh, of the uh, great awakening preacher, I, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was one of the Wesley's you know, who says there, but for the grace of God, go, go I, that line. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's accurately attributed, but but regardless, the line itself sort of carries that because grace, the grace, you know, grace and gratitude are inherently related yeah. uh, characteristics, you know, one objective, one subjective. And the idea that we would accept it as grace and undeserved and therefore have a sense of shame can't go without the realization that we should also be grateful, yeah. you know, gra- filled with gratitude mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, I love the, that, that the complexity yes. of what would go with yeah. it. Uh, now, so I'm going to jump to the next okay, one. I'm ready. Uh, so, which is, you, you found an article, which I, I thought was interesting. I hadn't thought of it the way you did related to <laughs> thanks or yeah, gratitude. This makes me giggle because <laughs> it's about... Uh, careers, and um, you're my boss. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And here I'm saying— so you should love your career. Yeah, (laughs) I'm saying, thank goodness life is more than just 
career, yeah. even though I'm saying that in front of my well, boss. Well, first of all, let me. I'm just going to point out before you get into this story, yeah. I'm going to point out how hypocritical <laughs> this is for you because you basically live work I, a lot. I, I mean, I you do, take work home. I do you work well on it. So, and I've I've always said. <laughs> I think that's a terrible shame, but I'm going to take advantage of it as <laughs> right. long as you do it, yeah. you know? And it, so. it's funny. I do actually like both of my jobs. I have two jobs, counselor and working at Crystal College. And I do really enjoy both of my jobs. However, I think that this particular article brings up um, a overarching sort of structural way of humans interacting with their world that I think is important for us. So give us what the article is about. So it's called Your Career is Just One-Eighth of Your Life. Which I find... Just mind-blowing. I'm surprised. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm terrible at math. So you could pretty much tell me anything and I'd be like, really? How interesting. (laughs) Um, So this was by Derek Thompson and it's in The Atlantic. Um, So he, the, the full article talks about career advice. And, um, but I, we're going to focus on one part of it, but he says career advice as a genre is all, as a genre is almost fatally flawed. I thought this was pretty humorous. He says, my toes curl with embarrassment when successful people say anything along the lines of just do these three things I did. He <laughs> says, autobiography is not advice. Okay. He says, given how poorly, this is the humorous part, mm-hmm. given how poorly most people understand themselves, it's barely even autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> now that's true. Yeah. That's Isn't absolutely that true. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, one, um, one, it's sort of career advice, but it's sort of just pointing out interesting things about our career. So one of those things is the length of our career versus the rest of our lives. Okay. So it's a lot of math. Here we go. The typical career is 80,000 hours. Okay. Okay. Um, you're awake and conscious for the equivalent of 3,000 weeks, okay? And when you do the math um, on 80,000 hours, you discover that the average career is roughly the equivalent of 480 sleepless weeks of labor, okay? okay? So a little bit more math, you realize that the typical person has five waking hours of not working for every one hour of working. Wow. So he says, I would says, not have figured that. Yeah, I know. Me neither. I was shocked. Um, well, I don't know if I would. You've already pointed out that I don't know if these would necessarily describe my life. <laughs> it's not true about you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, normal, but a normal people. Person. Yeah, we say that phrase a lot, though. Normal people. Mm-hmm. And then there's you, Daisy. Uh, work is too big. This is what Derek says work is too big a thing to not take seriously, but it's too small a thing to take too seriously. Your work is one-sixth of your waking existence. Your career is not your life. Behave accordingly. That's, so that's, that, 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 that's fairly wild. But mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate the approach. I mean, it's super important, but it's not the most important thing in life, at least in terms of quantity. You know, Yes. Uh, in, in, and opportunity, measure. I would mm-hmm. argue. Opportunity. Mm-hmm. To do what? To do what else? What are the other things? And I'm not saying that career isn't important. Obviously, no, obviously yeah. my life uh, suggests that it is. Um, but, uh, there is something about us humans. We often deal with the urgent rather than the important. But you're also right in the middle of your career. So it's, uh, obviously that's going to seem more important when you're in the middle of it. And I happen to have two right now. And it (laughs) sort of shapes everything else that you do while you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't forget while you're focusing a lot of your life on career, potentially, don't forget that there's a lot of your life you may be leaving behind that you should, um, 
invest in in some way. And you uh, saw you saw something in this that made you think, oh, well, that should affect your gratitude. Also, yes. Which I thought was interesting. Well, frankly, um, you know, some people have the luxury, I would say, or the blessing to really enjoy their work. Um, like they love it every single moment of every day. Right. But there are a lot of people that just work in order to pay the bills and support their family and do mm -hmm. the best they can. And and they don't enjoy their work. Well, the good news is your life is actually full of a lot of other things than just work. So even if you don't every moment wake up, spring out of bed and sing on your way into your job, um, you are still doing something hopefully productive for society. And don't forget, you've got the, what is it? One, the other five, sixths five, six of your life of or your seven, life eighths of your to life. To choose what it is you want to do and the kinds of things that matter to you. Um, which I said yeah. is funny because here I am talking to my boss about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> about I'm thankful. Well, my job's not that important to me. Yeah, really yeah, glad so, to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, I do love the. I do love it. If you if you have a job you love, you have a reason to give thanks. Yes. If you have a job you don't love, you have a, a reason, reason to, to give thanks. thanks. You know, this, yep. this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm working through in the first circle a Solzhenitsyn novel right now, and uh, one of the things he has is characters talking against each other in a prison. I mean, they're friends. They're mm -hmm. having a debate or discussion with each other about just that, you know, is, uh, is gratitude primarily about your response to things? They're saying it about happiness, but it's the same uh -huh. concept as they're discussing it. Um, and it's interesting because it's so important to be able to have just an attitude of thankfulness or an attitude of mm -hmm. contentment or, or something along those lines. Anyway, so that's a fascinating one. One more, uh, yes. and you have one more you're going to introduce, and then I'm going to follow up with one for this one. Uh, which had to do with stuff that's near and dear to you, uh, <laughs> neuroscience and, you right. know, whatever. Grief. All, and, all that therapy yeah. type stuff yes. that you do. Yeah. So what's this one? So this is called Your Brain on Gratitude, How a Neuroscientist Used His Research to Heal from Grief. Okay, so it's by Liz Tung from NPR. And this guy's name was Glenn Fox. And um, he had dedicated most of his adult life to studying gratitude. So how it improves our resilience, lowers stress, and boosts our overall health, okay, which we've sort of all already talked about with friendship. But on Thanksgiving in 2013, he uh, was feeling anything but grateful because he had just lost his mom a few days before that to ovarian cancer. Mm. And he said that the day after going down to Starbucks for coffee and some pastries, this is a quote, it was like the most in intense experience ever. And I just thought, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I even going to order <laughs> as he's standing yeah, in line at Starbucks? And, you know, a lot of people do experience loss um, and with loved ones, family members, and then they, they hit the holidays. And the moments that are supposed to bring warmth and pleasant memories and things like that can, can bring worse. the opposite. Yeah. And, and so that was true for him. So he was just months away from completing his PhD on the neural basis of gratitude. And he knew from his research how therapeutic gratitude could be and how it could help him. What he didn't know was how to actually make it practical. Um, and a part of that was because he, you know, his grief was so overwhelming. He just thought, I, I can't even imagine what will work with this. So his mom was um, diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and uh, she was interested in his work. So she would always ask him, you know, send me something. What can I do? Um, how can I While live the rest of my life her. Yeah, in, in the happiest and most grateful way? So she kept a gratitude journal. 
which she did religiously, he said, in the final years of her life. And so this is a quote. I mean, she was dying, and yet she would still write down things that she was grateful for. It might be some simple things like being able to eat a piece of chocolate, right? Or it might be profound, like a blood transfusion. Um, so he has her, her journals, and uh, it, it inspired him to journal himself. And so he said it, that practice had a profound effect on his mother's ability to stay in the moment and appreciate the time she had left. And so he said, grateful people tend to recover faster from trauma and injury, and they tend to have better and closer personal relationships. So he thought, (laughs) he woke up, Mm -hmm. he woke up the next day and he started thinking to himself, okay, gratitude guy, that's Mm -hmm. what some people call him. Like, what do you got? What are you going to do? And so he started his own gratitude journal. And uh, he said he wasn't great at it at first. Um, He kind of stunk at it. Um, And he did acknowledge that at first, the entries didn't change the way he felt at all. Okay. So he said, here's a quote, it didn't make me feel like, oh, everything's great. Because gratitude isn't a synonym for happiness, he said. So what gratitude got me in that moment wasn't that I didn't feel any pain or sorrow. Far from it. In fact, it may have even made that sense of pain more acute, but it made me aware of it in a way that I felt I could manage it. Mm. So that's interesting. That's a change. Um, Yeah, I think you'll probably hit on that later. So um, there was a study uh, done in Indiana University, Bloomington, that they studied individuals that had depression and they would journal, um, do gratitude journals. And over three months, they noticed a difference. They would take brain scans, Mm -hmm. you know, regularly. And over three months, they noticed a difference in their brains, um, the people who were doing it versus the people who weren't doing it. And so Fox says, I think that gratitude can be much more like a muscle, like a trained response or a skill that we can develop over time as we've learned to recognize abundance and gifts, the things we didn't notice before as being important. So he says, you know, it's not a cure for pain, something that can be applied when things get bad. Instead, it's a regular practice that shores up our reserves and changes how we perceive the bad times. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's he said it's not a quick fix. It didn't fix his grief, but what it did allow him to do was live in the moment and acknowledge that he had grief because he had something to be thankful for, Yeah, which was a close relationship with his mom. That's one of the things I always try to point out. This is that I find that to be brilliant uh, and really illuminating for people, especially who are going through grief. And and because you know, when you're grieving, you don't want it washed away. I mean, part of the, part of the grieving experience is realizing how uh, poignant, how valuable those uh, moments are to you being alive still, and yet it's horrible. And being able to, you know, experience gratitude in the same complex moment when you're having that worst of all yeah. living experiences is, uh, yeah, I, I think that's an insight, you know, to be able to move forward with. Uh, I shared with you that I found in response to it because I was curious, you know, if if his thinking about it w- would put gratitude in a certain part of the brain. And uh-huh. So yeah. I started looking up articles mm-hmm. or things like that that talked about where gratitude is in the brain. And there's not a simple, it's a very complex emotion. And so there uh-huh. was no, there was no, I, you know, 
ask AI and it'll tell you it's in this part of the right. brain. It's not, you know, it's not that simple, which I tried, by the way, and I, and I tried everything else. But there's no, there's no answer that, that, that reduces it to one part of the brain. But there were plenty of studies about things that did change in the brain because of gratitude related to exactly what you were just talking about, for instance. But one of the studies that, that popped out to me most prominently because of my concern for altruism as well and how we talk uh-huh. about yeah. uh, being able to choose other than selfishly or other than with mm-hmm. uh, even psychological egoism. Um, so, uh, as I, so I found this article. It's called The Cultivation. It's, from, it's a study, actually. Okay. Uh, and I will, we'll, we'll put the link to where we found it, you know, where I found it, and then I showed it to you, I think. So... But we'll put the link to it on the website. But the study's called The Cultivation of Pure Altruism Via Gratitude, a functional MRI study of change with gratitude practice. And it comes mm-hmm. from a couple of psychologists from the University of Oregon, oh, a state near and dear to your heart. What a state that is. Yeah, that's where you came from. Anyway, yes. and then also uh, a researcher from Harvard as well. Okay. So, uh, and I, so what I'm going to do is read. It's not even the introduction to the study. It's sort of the abstract that you have uh-huh. with these things, right? Okay. So here's what they had as the sort of header for getting into the article itself. A little long, but I, I think okay. it'll make sense. We'll gratitude ourselves. gratitude is an emotion and a trait linked to well-being and better health. And welcoming benefits to oneself is instrumentally valuable. However, theoretical and empirical work highlights that gratitude is more fully understood as an intrinsically valuable moral emotion. To un- so a moral emotion would be, you know, something a little different. Yeah. So it's not just self-benefiting. Anyway, so this, the next statement is, to understand the role of neural reward systems in the association between gratitude and altruistic motivations, so the moral emotion, uh, we tested two hypotheses. First, whether self-reported propensity toward gratitude relates to fMRI-derived indicators of pure altruism operationalized as the neural valuation of passive private transfers. Uh, you're glaring at me like I shouldn't be <laughs> no, reading I'm this I'm glazing part. over. It's a different <laughs> G word there. Oh, oh, yeah, I got you. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the idea is that as they did this study, they found uh, observable evidence that when people were more grateful, they had a greater propensity toward gratitude that when they expressed that gratitude or when they encountered that gratitude themselves emotionally, then they were more inclined. They also had a greater propensity toward altruism, hmm. doing things for other people, choosing on behalf of others. We posit, this is how that paragraph concludes since I skipped all the uh, meaty part, about the nucleus accumbus and the <laughs> ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Anyway, uh, we posit that as a context-dependent value-sensitive cortical region, the VMPFC, the thing I just named, supports change with gratitude practice, a change that is larger for benefits to others versus oneself. Hmm. So you're more likely to become an altruistic person when you are a grateful person, which I just find staggeringly important. (laughs) Um, Because, again, like I was saying about the thing with Gaza, our gratitude is not selfish because you're looking outward and saying, thank you to someone else. You're saying, thank you. You know, you're saying it to someone else. And when we're doing that, we're looking outside of ourselves, but we're saying it about what we received. So it can feel a little selfish, like, well, I'm grateful for all this stuff and just ignoring all the misery that's out in the world. But in reality, it's built into gratitude that we're acknowledging we're not different from people who don't have the things that we have. That's why we're grateful for receiving them. So I'm just like everybody else, and yet 
I'm, I've been blessed with this. And the acknowledgement, of course, we have as believers that every good thing comes down from yeah. God obviously directs every act of gratitude for us, not only to other people, but to God himself. And, and, and so when we have that, we can feel like we've created this little bubble of existence between the giver, God, or someone else, and then and he's always involved, God's always involved, but then us, you know, so there's this little bubble between me and God, and I give him gratitude, and he's gracious to me, and everybody else is excluded. But it's not that, because the, the, the humility that's built into gratitude that says, I, I should express thanks for having received what I did. I'm not just patting myself on the back. I'm not just exercising something about pride, you know, in myself. I'm just grateful. Is my acknowledgement that others may not have what I have, and yet I have no more, I'm no more deserving of it than they are. And so, you know, thank you for this, which then engenders this sense that I should be doing more for others as well. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. I loved it. Well, I think it was nice to do a completely different kind of episode yes, uh, for this, this Thanksgiving different. week. Yes. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I, I really Me appreciate too. you participating and looking up the articles and having some interaction with, with uh, the whole topic mm-hmm. of gratitude. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, and in short, you know, I'll, I'll summarize it this way, Daisy. And, and so seriously, though, thanks for getting on and doing the, doing the episode with me today. Uh, In short, I would say this, you know, that we could let Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving, you know, the holiday itself, that we could let the week of Thanksgiving be a reminder that if you want to be closer to others, if you want to care more about others, if you want to do more for others, the place to begin is giving thanks. Thanks for joining us for Coffee with Creamer. Your cup of coffee may be finished, but we are not. (laughs) Come back next week for a refill as we sit down to examine a new set of ideas and cultural issues. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit our website at barrycreamer.com. Until next time, keep your mug hot and your mind sharp.